I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed... It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Welcome to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense, sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. Make sure you tune in each and every week at rapidfireradio.us to join the conversation, follow along in the chat, or you can call the Rapid Fire line. 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. And you can like and subscribe on all of the social media platforms that you get your social media on. Our handle is at Cape Gunworks and at Rapid Fire Radio. So give us a like, a share, a subscribe, and drop a comment. And uh, that'll help defeat the evil algorithms that are trying to keep us down and our content out. Uh, in, interestingly enough, I actually went on our Instagram page to see how we're looking as far as our account status is concerned, and um, it's not looking good. So <laughs> it's funny. They cleared up one whole area, um, but I'm going to have to share this once at some point. If you go over to your account status... Um, They've changed things up, and uh, so there's a bunch of stuff uh, that, you know, the, the way they display your account status is a little different now, and it's hard to even find. Um, but I have a green check mark next to removed content, which means they haven't removed anything in a long time, which is amazing because it used to have like a red X, like our account was about to be disabled. So for some reason, they're like all of a sudden like not taking down our content. However... There's the second part, which says recommendations guideline, and it says your account cannot be shown to non-followers. So that's pretty much the par for the course across all social media platforms other than like Rumble and uh, Twitch and Parler and uh, actually Parler's gone, right? So uh, Telegram, et cetera. But any of the big tech platforms, they won't show you our content unless you like or follow or subscribe to our content. So otherwise, there's no chance of it randomly coming up or seeing it on a friend's feed or whatever. It You have to like and subscribe, unfortunately. That's the, the, the battle that we deal with on a daily basis, unfortunately. It just is painful, but there you have it. So I greatly appreciate all of those who would go over to our... Uh, social media channel, wherever you get your social media, and give us a like, a subscribe, a share, and comment often on our posts because that'll help uh, show everybody that our content is important to you. But anyway, we're glad you're here. Uh, This is your weekly show, all things about guns. And last week, we had a poll question up. We got a new one up this week, but I just wanted to 
read everyone the results of last week's was, do you believe the court system will overturn the frame and receiver rule and the pistol brace rule like the bump stock ban? And 72% of you said yes, and 28% said no. So 28% think that nothing's going to happen in the court system that's going to overturn the frame and receiver rule and the pistol brace rule uh, that similar to what happened with the bump stock rule. And so if you don't know about the bump stock rule, uh, the bump stock was banned uh, by rule change by the ATF in, um, I believe it was 2019, if I'm not mistaken, uh, after a, under the Obama administration, the bump stock was you know, issued in green, a green light and given a green light. And uh, you could get a letter with the with the bump stock when you purchased it that we used to joke we would sell this $50 plastic stock with a $250 letter from the ATF that that basically said it is not a machine gun. Well, guess what? They changed their mind at the direction of President Trump, which is my, in, in, you know, one of the ways that I feel like he did the, the gun owning community dirty. However, if you look at him as the master negotiator that he claims to be, it also took all other options off the table. So you can look at it both ways. Like, number one, not one inch of ground should be given to anti-gunners. But number two, it wasn't done through legislative law change. So that means the legislature didn't vote for it. There was no appetite for that in the legislature at the time and so it went through the rule changing process so how is it that the atf gets to write law basically through uh, rule change and if you're not aware of what the that's called it's three the three letter agencies have long been given some sort of broad latitude to define ambiguous law that the Congress passes because they're tasked with the enforcement of said law. So the EPA, in other words, takes care of any environmental uh, you know, laws that are passed by the Congress. The ATF obviously enforces the law of you know, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and explosives. And uh, obviously their focus is on firearms, I would say, first and foremost. Um, but, you know, that's... I honestly don't have the inside track on that. And uh, then there's other agencies out there, IRS and et cetera, et cetera. So these bureaucracies are tasked with um, enforcement of the code and the law that Congress passes. Well, Congress never passed a law regarding bump stocks. So they took what used to be known as Chevron deference back in the early 80s. There was a big case with Chevron Corporation where I believe the EPA um, was regulating how their gasoline or whatever it was, the oil was processed. Or I, I don't even know the nuance of the case, but I do know that Chevron was the big uh, case involved. And they changed the rules. And so as a result of them changing the rules, they sued and they, they lost. And they were told that uh, these three-letter agencies have deference to interpret the intent of Congress um, and and enforce that. So fast forward, the ATF has long been using this broad latitude to 
enforce laws uh, or rules that the Congress has passed, um, laws that the Congress has passed about guns. And so you take the bump stock, for instance, that uh, you know came out. It was originally said that it, you could own it, and you got a letter from the ATF when you legally bought it. And then all of a sudden they changed their mind and said, well, at the direction of President Trump, we've been told to find a way to uh, change this rule. So they had public hearings, they did all this, that, the other thing, and then after a while they inf- they changed the rule. And it was immediately banned. And basically they were deemed machine guns so that you could no longer possess them. You had to you know, cut them up and surrender them or talk, you know, make sure you didn't have them anymore. And as a result of that, uh, you know, people mostly complied and got rid of them. I'm sure there's, you know, very few were actually turned in. So a bunch were either lost in boating accidents or destroyed or um, people still have them. That's the three basic options because no one was really turning them in. Uh, so now we face a whole new era of this rule change and the most egregious of which is the pistol brace rule. So this pistol brace rule... Um, has gone back and forth now three or four times since 2012, I believe. So uh, it's pretty interesting to follow, and we'll see what happens. But uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this because there's some big things brewing on this whole Chevron deference. Uh, So anyway, the Veterans Top Shot Invitational Golf Tournament is upon us. It is coming down the tracks like a freight train May 19th. If you don't have your foursome signed up yet, you have to sign up. Go over to VeteransTopShot.com and, uh, I'm sorry, it's TopShotInvitational.com to sign up today. That's TopShotInvitational.com. And uh, we will be right back. You're listening to Rapid Fire. The firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and I'm glad to be here with you each and every week talking about guns. And uh, we had a poll question last week, and it was, do you believe that the court system will overturn the frame receiver rule and pistol brace rule like the bump stock ban? 72% of you thought yes, and 28% said no. This week's poll question, which you can vote in if you go to rapidfireradio.us or go over to our Twitter page on uh, Rapid Fire Radio, all one word. 
is what can we do to curb the increase in violence in America? A, make it easier to buy guns. B, make it harder to buy guns. C, lose or end gun-free zones. Uh, and D, more mental health options for people. Uh, so go ahead and let your voice be heard. Go uh, vote in our poll over at Twitter, Rapid Fire Radio, all one word, or rapidfireradio.us. And I will uh, read the results. Currently, it's 100% end gun-free zones. Um, and the reason I made this the poll question today, honestly, is uh, um, it goes along with what was talked about at length uh, in Greenfield last night at um, the Greenfield Community College. It was the third stop of the state listening tour. Um, I was a panelist there with uh, a chief from Hamden, uh, Chief Mason, and uh, John from, uh, he was a retired EPO, um, which I thought it was an excellent discussion and an excellent uh, spirited debate over, you know, how to make our communities safer and and end violence as a whole. Uh, there was the usual red shirts, the Moms Demand Action were there, and they made their voices heard. Um, and I actually in, invited a couple of them on rapid fire. Maybe we'll have a nice spirited discussion in the second hour. Um, but um, I, I extended my an invitation to them. And, and uh, you know, it's funny because the not much has changed in the debate over guns in the last 30 years as a gun owner. Uh, you hear the same talking points, the same uh, basically, uh, you know, points proffered uh, that it, what's really funny is it's always teed up with no one's after your guns. No one wants to see you not be able to own guns. Nobody wants to take away your guns. Then they proceed to only offer anti-gun solutions to violence in America. You don't need an AR-15. I believe I do, Joe. And uh, the the point of the matter is you can say it, but then you totally... Uh, it's very disingenuous if you're about to give us a big but and then tell us how we should restrict guns. So I've heard the same arguments for 30 years. I'm sure you have too. And uh, if your only solution to curbing violence in America is to ban guns, you're getting it wrong, period. Because I, you know, last night was the first night I actually, in discussion after after the event, I basically said, look, nobody's turning in their guns, period. Not criminals and not law-abiding citizens. So you got to come to grips with that. you got to come to terms with that. And you have to start thinking about what alternative you can do to, to keep our community safer. Because for the most part, we don't change. Even, you know, a lot of people were talking about schools and how, you know, people go to school and cower in fear during their, uh, you know, active shooter drills and whatnot. And I agree. I think that's horrific that kids have to go through this. But guess what doesn't happen? Nothing changes during the, you know, last 30 years since Columbine. Uh, nothing has really changed. Uh, 
in how schools are defended. Some communities have put school resource officers in, which is good. Some schools have made some minor changes to you got to get buzzed in they lock the doors which is good some schools have you know but there's no comprehensive change sweeping reform that would change every single school like a mandate that says any new school being built must have fill in the blank it must have bulletproof glass in its foyer it must have uh, you know, locks on every door. It must have the line on the carpet, uh, so the sight line, so people can huddle behind that. It must have, you know, connected to the local police department or sheriff's department so that they can uh, connect in and in real time coordinate uh, uh, an effort. Um, but all of that doesn't cost a whole lot of money. It's like a couple hundred thousand dollars to $300,000 on an average school. And I've said it many, many times that the average cost of a high school football field in America is $6 million. And if we're willing to spend that on an athletic field, then we should be able to spend a couple hundred grand or two or $300,000 on uh, making our kids safe at school and hardening the target so it's not an option. Let's, let's make that not an option. And as I was talking last night, I said that to um, some of the uh, – mom's demand action crowd and they said oh well then they'll just go to a walmart or they'll just go to a movie theater or they'll just go to a mall and commit the the violence there and i said okay i'm okay with that i would much rather have somebody be armed in those spaces and give the people a fighting chance in the public space than a target rich environment of a gun-free zone so you know I'm, i could live with that but let me know what you think. 508-444-2120. 508-444-2120. And um, I'd love to have you join the show if you want to call us. Uh, you can also text 508-444-2120. And if you were um, there last night and you uh, had some comments and were able to you know, observe what was going on, feel free to type in the chat or give us a call and let us know what you think. I want to know if... The listening tour is is what the state is going to do before ramming through new gun legislation, or is it truly their desire to hear uh, what people go through in this state as a gun owner? And I tried; I didn't really say my whole piece. I wish I did uh, to, at the beginning, but. I thought I'd have another bite at the apple, and it really didn't come other than when one uh, person who stood up asked us a direct question. I was able to um, opine for a little bit, and uh, the, the panelist next to me, who is the former EPO, leans over and goes, good rant. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, I, I had to get that off my chest. But anyway, um, so the point of the matter is, is it just a dog and pony show to say that they have Listen to the people of Massachusetts, and they are demanding, you know, tougher gun laws and tougher, uh, you know, restrictions on firearms ownership. And, uh, you know, uh, I think it was probably one of the best crowds that I heard from in a long time that really articulated very well um, the frustration of gun owners being blamed for every mass shooting and also that we're not the problem. The problem lies. And even the police on the panel, the policeman on the panel, Chief uh, Mason said, look, we're rolling guys up in, you know, stops and whatnot that have firearms from 
that have been stolen from Georgia and, you know, whatever. They're, they end up on the streets of Massachusetts. And these are people with multiple career uh, records, multiple uh, arrests and convictions. And these are repeat offenders. They're not, you know, just someone who happened to be driving down the road and, and just was doing it all wrong. These are people who are career known to law enforcement criminals in most cases and you know they're just taking the wrong path and they're out on the street doing it all over so anyway let me know what you think uh 508-444-2120 and before the last break we talked about um the the courts and chevron deference and whatnot and there's a case that's actually going to be heard by the supreme court and i think there was a couple of supreme court justices neil gorsuch is one um, who has expressed an interest in hearing about a case of Chevron deference. And it looks like there's some uh, case now with this fishing uh, group, the Herring, the, I forget what state they're in. It might even be Massachusetts but or Maryland or something. But there's this whole conglomerate of fishermen that fish Herring out of the ocean. And now they've been ordered by... I don't know if it's the EPA, I think it is the EPA or the, the Division of Fisheries and Wildlife or whatever, that they have to pay an observer to come on board and observe their catch and make sure they're not exceeding the catch or doing it wrong and whatnot. And they got to pay the salary, and uh, it's an expensive endeavor, number one. Number two, it's another person taking up room on the board they're on the ship they're only allowed so many people so it's less one less productive person that they can have on the ship and uh it's ridiculous they're like this is absurd that i have to pay this guy's salary to come on board and observe me doing my job and so uh that is a case of this chevron deference where this group uh is said oh yeah you gotta have a monitor on every ship and monitor your catch and you know make sure you're doing it right. And so this has gone all the way to the Supreme Court, and they've said that they're going to hear this case. And I don't think they really care about the actual case involved. I think it's a broader look at this whole concept of Chevron deference, which it seems like has got really out of hand. And basically, given three-letter agencies uh, the power to write law, because non-compliance with their rules and regulations results in felonies and uh, the threat of jail time. So especially in gun world with the ATF, these rule changes on frame and receiver and uh, pistol brace and bump stock and, uh, you know, all the other changes that have occurred, you know, the rare breed trigger, etc. These things come with the threat of government incarceration. They're not just like, oh, you, you violated our our regulation chapter whatever section whatever here's a $50 fine no these are felonies you could face 10 years in jail so something to think about we have an exciting new pistol training series pistol 1 2 3 and 4 and they happen on the first on the Mondays on Mondays uh, each Monday of the month and also a ladies only version on Saturdays so go over to capegunworks.com and make sure you sign up for Pistol 1, 2, 3, and 4 and learn how to be proficient and uh, efficient with your firearm. So we will be right back. I have a big announcement to make on the other side. I'm really excited about 
Uh, you're listening to Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary. We'll be right back. You work too hard to leave shots like these to chance. Now you never have to compromise performance again. Federal Premium Heavy Bismuth hits ducks and upland birds with 9.6 gram per cubic centimeter pellets sourced from heavy shot. 22% denser than steel. More energy downrange. Launched by the Flight Control Flex Wad, Heavy Bismuth patterns consistently and is safe in all shotguns. Loaded in the USA by Federal Ammunition. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. Let us know what you think. Give us a call on the Rapid Fire line, 508-444-2120. And we have a winner of the Cape Gunworks new hat with the nice leather patch in the middle. Uh, it is Lawrence B. Look for an email from us. And uh, this week, we're going to be giving away a $25 gift card to Cape Gunworks. This is a gift card that was... Bought in my own store for me because I won the Mantis X training class today. So the Mantis X rep bought this, and I said I'm going to donate it back to Rapid Fire Radio today. We are now a Mantis dealer, and uh, we're pretty excited about that. So if you've never seen their system, you got to check it out. Um, but we're going to give this away this week. So $25 gift certificate to Rapid Fire uh, to Cape Gunworks. So. Uh, go over to rapidfireradio.us, scroll down, sign up, and win. You could be a winner like Lawrence B. is this week. And uh, we'll pull the winner next week. Uh, this week's code is Ghost Gun. Uh, Ghost Gun, all one word, will save you off your entire shopping cart at Cape Gunworks. And this is for all of our radio and podcast listeners. So uh, make sure you keep the secret safe. And, uh, yeah, that's for all of our listeners. So anyway, jumping on the... Uh, oh, I talked about an important announcement that I oh had to make. Oh, my. Yes. Uh, we have something really exciting happening here at Cape Gunworks. I'm going to start off. It's going to be a whole weekend. Number one, on Friday the 19th, May 19th, we have our Top Shot Invitational Golf Tournament. So if you haven't got your foursome registered for this yet, this golf tournament sells out every year. It's the biggest golf tournament on Cape Cod, <clears throat> and it, sponsor, it supports uh, two of our local veterans charities here, the Top Shot, uh, excuse me, the uh, Heroes in Transition and the Nicholas Exaros Fund. These are both Gold Star families that started charities that are doing a lot of good work in our community uh, for veterans. So that's who's who's supported by this and uh there's lots of opportunity to support but we would love to have you join us in the golf tournament and that's going to be friday the 19th uh at bayberry hills golf course so again go to topshotinvitational.com to register also on saturday the 20th we're going to have a mini kind of vendor day we already have mantis coming the we're newly a, a dealer for them. So if you've never seen their system, their dry fire training system, their Mantis X system also works with live fire. So it's pretty cool. Uh, you can put it on a gun and it'll tell you what you did when you touched the trigger and started your trigger press and, and you know, how you're, if you're healing the gun or pulling, putting too much trigger finger on or too little and, and uh, breaking your wrists up or down. So uh, it gives you a lot of good feedback. 
um, and there's also other products that they have. Uh, so those are he's going to be here. The rep Connor is going to be here for that on Saturday the twentieth. We might have a couple other reps involved as well. I haven't really put the word out yet, but we're going to have a fun day on the twentieth, and then on the twenty first. We're going to have Representative Jim Jordan uh, from Ohio coming to Cape Gunworks. We have two hours with him uh, talking all things Second Amendment. The first hour from 10 to 11 is going to be kind of a VIP event where, you know, we're trying to raise money for his PAC and his reelection and whatnot. Of all the people in Congress who are staunch 2A supporters, Representative Jim Jordan is probably in the top two or three, maybe the number one, I don't even know. But uh, he did a great job a couple weeks ago when he uh, sat Stephen Dettel back down and and, uh, grilled him for a few minutes. So he's the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, uh, the ranking member. And and so we're really excited to have him come behind the Iron Curtain into Massachusetts and see what it is we're going through and what it is we do here and what it is we do at Cape Gunworks. But more importantly, I want to send him home with a message that the people of Cape Cod and Massachusetts are um, staunch 2A supporters, even though we live in a hostile state. Uh, When we send him away, I want him to remember us. So we have two hours. The first hour is going to be a VIP event. If you're willing to cut a big check, either in your corporation's name or personally, and donate to his pack. We would love to have you. You'll have access to him to ask questions, talk all things Second Amendment with him for that first hour. And then the second hour, we're going to have a general admission. It's probably going to be about 50 bucks to get in. We'll probably limit it because our classroom isn't big enough. And uh, so if you want to come and meet and greet and you know get a picture and hear him speak, uh, that'll be the second hour if you're you know, budget doesn't allow you to make a substantial donation for the first hour, but it it should be fun. We're really excited and we're so happy to have them. I'll release more details as they come out. Um, But, you know, to have someone from Ohio come here um, just to listen and to hear, hear what we're going through and, and to, uh, you know, talk Second Amendment with us here on Cape Cod, I think, is awesome. So that's a pretty big deal for us, and uh, we'd love it if you guys would support us. Just let us know. So anyway, um, that's what's going on and uh, on Cape Cod and Cape Gunworks in May. It's, set, it's shaping up to be a huge May. So uh, if you want to call and ask questions about that, too, you can, 508-444-2120. And uh, we'll talk about that more as we get closer, for sure, as the details matriculate. <laughs> we'll we'll start to put them out, and uh, we'll we'll have fun. That's one thing that's going to be had. Is a lot of fun will be had. Hopefully, he'll go out on the range and send a few rounds down range. But anyway, let's get to your questions. Um, I opened my chat a little late, so if I didn't see your comment early, I apologize. Um, and. Uh, but you can go ahead and type it in now. So Chris is saying tomorrow's the anniversary of the Kent State College. Yes, uh, thanks for pointing that out. I did not know that, Um, (laughs) which could lead me down a rabbit trail about how government has been the biggest mass killer in American history, but we won't go there today. So uh, anyway, 
Mike says, I'll be able to do some rapid fire after Saturday as I bought a Rave 140 trigger to replace my stock factory AR trigger. All right. I haven't heard of that one. I'll have to check that one out. Rave 140. So sounds interesting. And uh, good to see you, Toy Town. And uh, Bird Runner saying Chevron Deference is heading back to SCOTUS, as I just mentioned. Yes. And uh, does the Spear LT have a monolithic upper? No, it doesn't. Um, it's a two-piece upper, but it doesn't pop like the upper hand the handguard doesn't slide off like it did on the vertus um so you used to pop the front pin on the vertus and then the whole front handguard would slide right off and uh that one has not uh, i just got one in and actually it just sold today but it was the uh spr version of it and that handguard didn't slide off after pop popping the front pin which i kind of was a little disappointed with but they must have their reasons. It go. It went to the military, so they probably didn't want that thing so loosely held on by one little loop piece of steel. That it had to be more of a, uh, you know, mill spec type of thing. So I think it's held on by three screws now, uh, but it is not a uh, monolithic upper. Bump stocks and trigger cranks are considered machine guns in mass. Yes, they are, uh, and we'll see what happens. Um, with the federal government on that, because I think there's now a split decision in the Circuit Court of Appeals. So I think the Fifth Circuit has ruled that they are not machine guns, and other circuits have ruled that they are. So that's probably going to the Supreme Court. We'll see what happens with that. Um, but I don't know if uh, I don't know if that's actually gonna gonna uh, pan out. Ho- hopefully, it will. Um, I know that. There was a lot of talk and chatter in the past couple days by all uh, the usual YouTube channels about um, Amy Coney Barrett has um, taken attention on this uh, assault weapons ban and magazine capacity ban because of the district she used to represent. I think it's the, uh, I'm, I'm making it up, but I think it's the Fifth Circuit. Maybe someone can correct me in the chat. Um, so, uh, and I don't know if it's the one that came down in Illinois or not, but uh, anyway, she's going to be looking at that. But I don't think that's going to actually happen right away. I, it seems to me like they'll be, um, it'll be punted back to the lower courts first. But you never know. We'll see what happens. Um, it, I don't think it'll be looked at this early by the Supreme Court, but hopefully it will because. There's certainly enough courts that have ruled different ways, and it needs the Supreme Court to kind of weigh in on it. Um, ASD is pointing out that it's very odd that there's so many mass shootings. There's another one in Atlanta, and uh, yeah, it is odd, I would say. Um, it, It seems to always happen right when they're proposing mass sweeping gun control and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just unbelievable the timing of these things. I, w- I would agree. Um, the one in Texas, I guess, has turned out to be an illegal alien uh, who was asked to stop shooting his gun and he wiped out the whole family, which is just a tragic story. But, you know, this guy was known to police, had had a criminal record, had been arrested prior. And here he is wandering around the country. So um, really sad. But uh, I think. Uh, uh, sisters in arms have chimed in stop letting the criminals out fix mental health and take away gun free zones uh, is a good way to stop uh, violent crime in America and I agree and I believe that the stop letting criminals out is 
the most important part of that equation. I do agree that it should be manifold approach and multi-pronged approach, and I'd love to see all three of those things taken at once. But the one thing that would make immediate impact is to stop letting violent criminals out of jail. This is just a, it's a no-brainer. I don't even understand why that is so complicated. Just stop letting violent criminals out of jail, period. They should be in there for the entirety of their sentence with no chance of early parole and uh, no chance of getting out on good behavior. So anyway, you're hearing this and you don't have a gun license in Massachusetts. Did you know you can't even exercise your right to keep and bear arms? Without a government permission slip in Massachusetts, you're out of luck. Hopefully that'll all change someday, but right now... We offer the class for you to get your license to carry, including ladies-only classes and couples classes. So sign up at capegunworks.com, and we will be right back. You're listening to Rapid Fire. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And let's talk about guns a little bit. This week's Gun of the Week, the featured Rapid Fire Gun of the Week, is the Ruger LC Carbine. So this gun is pretty cool. It's the LC Carbine. You might have heard of the PC Carbine. The very first time a rep called and asked if I wanted a LC Carbine, I thought he was had his mords wixed up. I'm like, what the heck's an LC carbine? And he told me, oh, it's their new uh, pistol caliber carbine, but it's chambered in 5.7. And my ears perked up, and I said, I like 5.7. So they uh, sent me one, and I've sold a few of them. They're awesome guns. I love it. If you have the Ruger 5.7 pistol, it'll same magazine fits and works in the LC carbine. And basically, the controls are all the same, too. The safety feels very similar. It has an ambi safety. It has a, uh, I don't know if the mag release is reversible or not, but I would assume it is. It looks like it is. Uh, the mag release is right on the uh, side of the grip behind the trigger guard and uh, where you'd expect it to be. But it's more of a lever function instead of a button function, which I actually like because I believe you get more uh, leverage pushing down on a lever instead of the weaker muscular way our our thumbs work uh, pushing into the side of the gun off the bony part of your knuckle. But anyway, that's a discussion for another day. Let's talk about the gun. It has a side charging handle 
uh, non-reciprocating side charging handle. It has a M-lock handguard, which is not monolithic, but it is full length, uh, and you can attach, um, you know, a vertical foregrip or little M-lock sections in the three o'clock, the six o'clock, and the nine o'clock position. Um, it has plenty of optic mounting options on top. Uh, very long Picatinny rail comes with Ruger backup iron sights, which are pop up and fold down, which is really nice. They pop right up with a button on the side. It has a fixed stock because of Maskanistan and no threaded barrel because of Maskanistan. And it also has a uh, rifled, I'm sorry, a fluted barrel in a cool twist flute pattern. Um, but yeah, it's a really cool gun. We've sold a bunch of them now. And uh, oh, by the way, it has a. Uh, QD sling swivel um, milled right into the side of the receiver, right behind the uh, the grip. So it's right about the center of the gun. If you wanted to use a single point sling, it'd be real easy to do that. And again, you could put like a, a sling mounting on the handguard up front if you wanted to go to a two point sling. It also has a QD sling swivel in the stock, uh, but the stock is all fixed and uh, really good lightweight gun. Um, it's a great alternative. It's a $850 gun. It's a great alternative to like the PS90, which is more expensive. Uh, so it's about half the cost and it's most everything Ruger makes is pretty bulletproof and works pretty well, uh, for a while and a long time. <laughs> so, you know, they're rugged guns. Uh, but this is the first time we've, uh, had a Ruger in a while, I believe on the rapid fire gun of the week. Uh, so this is a gun that interests me. It has, uh, you can change the stock to whatever, stock you want it has a pick rail attachment on the back uh, so you can change it around but i i really like this option i think the stock is actually very comfortable um, it's it's pinned at i'd say the middle of the stock's total length um, but which should work pre for pretty much everybody uh, but it would be a great home defense gun uh, certainly wouldn't be as loud as like an AR-15 or another or a shotgun or whatever. So if hearing is important to you in the home defense situation, which I say it is, um, this would be a good option. And it feels really good in the hand and very lightweight, very balanced. I've never shot this gun, but we might have to change that. Um, but the safety, which again is ambidextrous, feels a lot like the safety on the handgun. And uh, the, the bolt catch is where you would find it on a pistol uh, so when you charge the bolt back you can push the, the bolt stop in the up position just like you would on a semi-automatic pistol but it also has that blade tr trigger safety on it so it's kind of cool gun you got to check it out go to rapidfireradio.us and scroll down to gun of the week and you'll see the ruger lc carbine and you can use gow at checkout if you want to take advantage of this special deal we're running for Rapid Fire Radio. So there you have it. That's the gun of the week. And I will be right back. You're listening to Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary. Welcome to Personal Defense Network. For years, we've been the Internet's leading destination for high-quality information on equipment, training, and your preparation for personal or home defense. Our videos are meant for those who are serious about enhancing their ability to use efficient techniques to survive a dynamic critical incident. But now we've stepped things up even higher. We've added hours of high quality training videos just for our premium members. 
This content takes the body of work that is the Personal Defense Network up to an even higher level. Our goal with the Personal Defense Network is simple. Provide you with the highest quality video learning tips that are available. You'll find them inside of the premium membership. All you have to do is choose how to get started and I'll see you on the inside. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary. This is your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. And don't forget our poll question today on rapidfireradio.us or go over to Twitter and scroll down until you see our poll question. It's Rapid Fire Radio, all one word. And it is still trending at ending gun-free zones is at a solid 100%. So what can we do to curb the increase in violence in America? A, make it easier to get guns. B, make it harder to get guns. C, end gun-free zones. Or D, more mental health options. I also believe that, you know, it's tough to pick just one of those options. But you, the listeners, feel that ending gun-free zones 100% will end the increased violence in America or curb increased violence in America. So uh, go vote in the poll, let your voice be heard. And this week's discount code on capegunworks.com or rapidfireradio.us is ghost gun. So all one word, uh, ghost gun, go on over and use that at checkout and you will be able to get a special discount. So uh, Chris said that four boxes diner did a good job on uh, talking about, um, all those, you know, bump stock issues and et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and the, um, the pistol brace issue as well as the, probably the Amy Coney Barrett, uh, thing. They, they, that guy does a pretty good job. And I actually just recently started following him and listening to him. I didn't even know about him until a couple of weeks ago. So I've taken a dive into some of his videos. So I thought it was, it was pretty good. Um, and, uh, let's see. ASD mentions fishermen get pounded with regulations. Yes, they do. They are a highly regulated industry. One of the things I talked about um, last night on that Greenfield panel was I just basically started off with, you know, they asked me what, how those state gun laws affect my business. And I really didn't believe it till I put it all down on paper. But I started off just by saying that I possess 10 state and local licenses to operate my business. And I didn't even realize it was that many, but we have a license to carry, a machine gun license, a license to sell ammunition, license to perform gunsmithing activity, license to sell firearms, a business license, a shooting gallery license, and three different entertainment licenses. Uh, we also have federal licenses. We possess a federal firearms license as a manufacturer of firearms, and we pay a special occupational tax of $1,000 a year to deal in NFA weapons. The whole process from start to finish took over a year to get permitted, and at first application of the town was denied. I needed my lawyer to write a letter to the building commissioner explaining that a firearms retailer is a right of the zone, just like any other retail business in our area. And this was the first of many roadblocks laid before us. We persisted, and we were able to open what would ultimately become one of the state's largest and state-of-the-art retail training and indoor shooting range. Uh, and... What I didn't go on to say, and I wish I did, was uh, for this privilege, I'm not sure the state views it as a right, I use privilege in air quotes, 
We are audited by the federal government every one to three years to make sure we are complying with every jot and tittle of federal, state, and local laws. This is even more important now that we are in the era of the zero-tolerance policy of the Biden Justice Department, and revocation hearings are up over 600%, mostly for minor violations on federal forms that do not result in an unlawful sale. On the state side, we must comply with several lists of approved weapons that are supposed to be updated four times per year, but are mostly updated twice a year or not at all. And we're also told by an enforcement letter that we would face a $10,000 fine and possible loss of license and or jail time if we continue to sell common and ordinary weapons that had been sold continuously in Massachusetts since the 50s when the AG decided to change the way settled law had been enforced for the prior 23 years. This is the enforcement of regulations and laws of a constitutionally enumerated right and under the threat of government incarceration for the right to keep and bear arms, which is the only right, ironically, which ends with shall not be infringed, looks like. If we were required to pay to attend, and this I did say last night, in a little bit of my rant, if we were required to pay to attend a state-approved class where we would be told what we can and cannot say and where we can and cannot say it, we would be required to pay another $100 to the local police department to apply for our free speech license after getting a certificate certification from the class, subject ourselves to be fingerprinted, photographed, and have the state and local community do a background check, then wait one to three months for the said license to come in. Also, we can speak at the local community college, and when we arrived and it was our turn to speak, we were turned away because we forgot to bring the PIN number that came with our license. That is the equivalent of a day in the life of a gun owner in Massachusetts. Um, So I was able to articulate how many people are inconvenienced by the draconian gun laws in Massachusetts, But very few criminals are actually prohibited by it and stopped by it. Um, I would say we get two to four, maybe five on a really bad year of actual denials, people who aren't legally able to buy a gun and tried to. But ironically, they're coming in with their license to carry. So the state's already issued them a license and they've already been given all the background checks, state and local, and even the background check does like a national uh, fingerprint database. Uh, the chief that was there last night was able to, uh, you know, go on and talk about that. And so they come in with their license to carry, and they're trying to buy a gun, and all of a sudden the feds stop them from buying the gun. And that happens like two to four times a year. And I, I said maybe that's a result of our license to carry uh, situation because you can't buy a gun without one, but. I will say that there are thousands of cases a year of people who are being inconvenienced, who are not prohibited people, uh, from participating in their right to keep and bear arms because they uh, because they forgot their PIN number or the state uh, has you know um, issued a new license and they're using their old PIN number or they the feds have given them a delay because they have to do further review on their on their background check, even though they've already been issued a mass license to carry and already passed so many hurdles and jumped through so many hoops. So out of the two to four people that are denied every year, I don't believe it's worth the juice isn't worth the squeeze for the thousands of people that are inconvenienced 
in their free exercise of their constitutionally protected and enumerated rights. Um, one of the people that I think, uh, and by the way, if you want to talk about this, it's 508-444-2120 is the number here, and I'm happy to have you on to talk about it. But um, one of the people that spoke last night was actually a New Hampshire resident, and I think he did a phenomenal job of landing the plane about the historicity of um, gun laws in America and how they are unconstitutional, and basically that the license to carry was created for public servants in their official capacity as a police officer or a public servant that are required to carry a gun. So this is a licensure for them. He goes, based on the Constitution, there's no license required to bear arms. That's what the Constitution is. It's your license to bear arms without any issuance of any type of license because it's a constitutionally protected right. And then he went on to cite three different... uh, Supreme Court decisions. One of them was the one we talk about a lot, Murdoch v. Pennsylvania, 1943. But he also mentioned two other ones that concurred with that same decision where you cannot charge a fee, you cannot issue a license or a permit for the exercise or enjoyment of a federally protected constitutionally right, constitutional right. So I believe that the whole licensing scheme in Massachusetts is unconstitutional. Um, and, uh, I didn't really get a chance to say that, but unfortunately, uh, it, it was uh, hopefully everybody else who did speak was able to hammer that message home. And I think the resounding, overarching uh, feeling of this whole listening event was lock up the criminals, deal with the drug epidemic in our communities. If you want to really save lives, focus on the heroin and fentanyl crisis in our cities and our communities. One guy stood up and said just from his neighborhood, the seven guys, including one of his own children, who have all died from fentanyl uh, overdose. And, uh, you know, he, he was tearing up as he read their names and spoke their names. He didn't have to read their names. He knew all of their names. And uh, I think it was very, very good. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, it was excellent. And um, I hope that Representative Michael Day, who was very accommodating last night, will take all that into account and bring it back and tell the Speaker of the House, yeah, you know what, we need to ease up on the law-abiding people who are trying to do it right. You know, uh, One of the things that uh, the former EPO, John, uh, I forget his last name, said um, was that you know people are just trying to follow the laws and if they put their gun together and put a new barrel on their AR and it has a bayonet lug, they're out of compliance with the law if, if it's post-ban. And I, I was able to kind of say, yeah, I concur with what he said, but remember that bayonet lug is a felony in this state. It's not just a slap on the wrist. It's not a $50 fine. It's not a, hey, you shouldn't do that. It's it's a felony. And, you know, that's that's what, it's all victimless crimes. It's absolutely victimless crimes. So I hope, uh, I hope that people will take that into account and realize that all gun laws do is create um, a new group of people who are in violation of the law. And that's what this whole pistol brace rule is set to do on the 31st. Uh, When it goes from the 31st to June 1st, it just created millions of felons overnight who have done nothing to become a felon. It's just a rule change. 
that they're unaware of, and they're going to wake up on June 1st and be a walking felon without even knowing it. So uh, that's what gun control does. It's an infringement on your right to keep and bear arms. So anyway, that's the end of the first segment in the show. Thank you for tuning in, and remember that even though it ends here, it goes on for another hour, so stay tuned. We have Renee Gagne from uh, the DC Project, who's going to be on in the second hour. You don't want to miss this interview. We recorded it yesterday because of some conflict, uh, but it's a fascinating interview, and she's doing great work. Uh, her, she's partners with uh, Carrie Ann at uh, Eau Claire, who's Sisters in Arms is their YouTube channel, so you got to check them out. But you want to stay on and listen to that, so go to rapidfireradio.us and ask any questions you have. Call or leave a message, 508-444-2120. And freedom will always be on the right side of history, so stay tuned. And we will see you next time. We'll see you on the other side. So be right back. You're listening to Rapid Fire. May your tag of a lifetime finally come through. May the snow pile up and the elk come down. May your socks always stay dry. May the herd bull finally break from the herd. And may your aim always stay true. Welcome to the next level. Welcome to the Vortex. Once you're involved in something like this, the stress level... It can tear up a family. He said he was tried in the court of public opinion before he ever stepped foot in a courtroom, but surveillance video helped shed light on what actually happened. 50-year-old Ford employee Billy Cowart was charged with attempted murder for shooting his gun in the United Auto Workers 551 parking lot in June 2016. To have everything you worked for taken away. Cohort was suspended and then terminated from his job with Ford, where he'd worked for nearly two decades. To have somebody have your back and have a company that have your back, and then they put me in touch with a great attorney. That was the best feeling. Go to uscca.com to learn more about protecting yourself and your family. Alexander Hamilton said, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. This is Toby from Cape Gunworks. When our founding fathers drafted the Second Amendment, there was no question of its meaning. Today, if you have questions, come to Cape Gunworks for some advice, training, or to send a few rounds downrange. We have a fully stocked pro shop with a huge selection of guns, crossbows, archery, classes, rentals, a 15-lane range, and a friendly staff. Come on down to Cape Gunworks Airport Road, Hyannis, or capegunworks.com. For quite a long time, duck hunters have been shooting steel, but in the past few years, you've really seen a resurgence of a material called bismuth. And what bismuth is, it's got a density a lot closer to lead than steel, where, where steel's density is right around 7.8 or so, and lead's right around 11 grams per cc. Bismuth comes in about 9.6. So just to kind of lay it out for you, if you've got two objects flying at the same speed, the one that is denser 
at the same speed is going to hit a lot harder. So a great example is like how we're hunting today. We're out, we're out here on the, we're literally hunting a bay on the ocean. Fantastic spot. But the wind's coming in pretty hard. Normally shooting the size ducks like the Eurasian Wisions and teals that we're shooting at today, I would probably choose to shoot like a, a number four steel. But because the wind's higher, I would maybe go to a number two because I'd get more energy and let the, let the steel carry further. Bismuth allows you to go one shot size smaller and still hit the bird just as hard as you would. Now what that allows you to do, we're shooting a number three shot today. So we're getting all the pellets of a number three load but we're getting all the energy of a number two steel shot. So it's gonna hit harder, it's really gonna extend your range, still meets all the lead-free requirements everywhere you are. Just a great product, and you'll definitely notice the power that you hit the birds with. Another thing with the Federal Premium Heavy Bismuth is we're shooting the flight control wad. So you can choke that with any choke you want, whether that's ported or not, getting incredibly tight patterns. Again, more pellets on the bird, just hits them hard. Welcome to Rapid Fire, a 2A talk radio show sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. And remember, you tune in each and every week at rapidfireradio.us to join the conversation. And now you can text the Rapid Fire line, 508-444-2120. And you can like and subscribe on all the social media that you consume out there. We're at Rapid Fire Radio and at Cape Gunworks, wherever you find your social media. So... I'm really happy to have with us on this hour for uh, Renee uh, Gagne. From, she's the mass delegate for the DC project. And uh, Renee, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, this is great. And uh, so you're the Massachusetts delegate for the DC project, but you're also a rep for Rhode Island, is right? Yep. Yep. The, um, the terms are kind of confusing to people, so I'll just quickly hit that. So people aren't so confused. So the DC project for anyone that doesn't know is a national organization of women that safeguard our second amendment. And over the years we have, um, expanded all over the nation. So actually I'm pretty sure that Rhode Island was the last one to hop on board. And, um, I'm the director of the, of that chapter in, in Rhode Island. So here in Massachusetts, I help Carrie Ann O'Claire, who's the director for Massachusetts. And if you're a member, you're, you're called a delegate, just okay. a fancy word. So I'm a delegate here in Massachusetts, but I'm the director for Rhode Island. Got it. And yeah, does that help a little yeah. bit? Yeah. <laughs> um, so what is it the DC Project does? A lot of people yeah. hear about it and they, you know... I myself included, I know enough to be dangerous, <clears throat> but honestly don't know what I should know about such a great organization. Yeah, so. no, I get it. I get it. So it started about a decade ago when um, Diana Muller, who was a Tulsa police officer for 22 years, she was a competitive shooter, took gold for the um, United States in shotgun. And she decided that as she, as she, um, you know, was shooting and was learning about bills that were getting passed, that the legislators were passing some pretty serious um, gun law without having really any knowledge of what the heck they were passing. Mm. Um, They, 
the laws that were getting, the bills that were getting enacted weren't really helping the communities at all, wasn't really making anybody safer. So she decided to gather up a bunch of women and talk to our legislators. And over time, she got women in every state to do that. So now we have branched out into every state and our job is just to educate. Our motto is education, not legislation. And we just go to our um, legislators in our districts. And it's really important to us to get women to join from every district. So that way we're hitting all of the legislators at the state level. And then we go to D.C. once a year and we deal with federal bills and we talk to our Congress men and women there too. Awesome. So, you, did you say that all fifty states are represented now? Yes. Oh. The, the thing the thing with the DC project is everyone does it on a voluntary basis. So at any point you can you know tap out. Life gets tough. <laughs> People have babies. It's it's tough for women sometimes to to continue doing this fight for years and years and years. So sometimes directors will fall off. Um, And then we kind of run into an issue there. But for the most part, everybody's covered. Um, But like I said, it's because it's a voluntary basis, it's tough sometimes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's always something to do, right? I'm sure there's something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, what is the focus of the organization now as far as, um, obviously, the, you know, educate, not legislate is the motto of it. But is it to bring more women into the fold? Is it to, you know, be more of uh, present in legislative type agendas or is it, you know, yeah. to get new women shooting and bring them to the range? What, what else does it? Yep. Yeah. Yep. All of what you just said, Toby, it's all encompassing. So one of the biggest tasks that we have is just educating the public because the public are the um, individuals that are um, electing our politicians So if you're electing these people that stand for gun control and things that aren't going to help you and aren't going to keep you safe, um, a lot of people just don't understand what these laws are. And they think they sound good because some of them do sound really good until you pick them apart and realize, really, that's not the bad guys aren't going to listen to this. It's just you're really just infringing on the responsible gun owners. So we have a big job um, educating the public. And so a lot of the donation of money that we get goes towards um, educational events. And we set up all over our states and we do little um, meet and greet the D.C. project. Well, it's it's a lot of education, really, about um, gun safety, gun legislation. And we try not to talk about, um, you know, different um, Republicans or Democrats, we don't we don't like to use political parties because everybody deserves the Second Amendment. Right. So we try to leave that out of it, and we just try to educate everybody as much as we can. And we are the counter voice and the counter visual for the Moms Demand Action, which is the other organization, and um, they are opposition mm-hmm. of the two A, as you know. Right. Yeah. There's um. You know, a lot going on out there. It seems like, you know, it's kind of sad, in my opinion, that the Second Amendment has become this political football that gets tossed around so much and back and forth. And it really should be just, no matter what political party you're affiliated with, you should just be able to, you know, enjoy your 
constitutional rights without any type of uh, threat against them. But unfortunately, that is not the case we or not the world we live in today. But um, do you guys ever have like range events or, you know, oh, d- yeah, days absolutely. Where you get together? So- yep. So for so for me, being in Rhode Island, we have one um, in Tiverton coming up on June 3rd. The FFLs around anytime we go to visit a gun shop, they are so good to us. They are constantly just being our biggest supporters. And it's amazing because we're able to have these events in a place where some women would never think to go because they are not gun owners, but they want their communities safe. So you don't have to be a gun owner or shooter to join us. You just have to be a woman who, um, you know, wants safer communities and you want to learn, you want to be educated. And just because you don't own a gun doesn't mean you shouldn't know about gun safety Mm. because let's face it. I mean, you could go into someone's home and there could be a gun there and you might not know how to react or your children could be faced with that type of thing too. So I feel like whether you're a gun owner or not, the DC project is for everybody. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. And you, 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 you said something that actually caused me to think about a friend of mine who's, um, one of our biggest advocates here at Cape Gunworks, and uh, she has sent tons of people our way. She wants to have family events here, and like all her kids and nephews and nieces and you know relatives come shoot and everything else. And uh, the funniest thing is she won't touch a gun. She won't come in and shoot. <laughs> We've been trying to get her to shoot. She's like, oh, no, I will never touch a gun. But it's not like she's anti-gun she just doesn't it's not for her but she loves the fact that all her family comes and shoots and everyone has a good time and wants to make a big social event out of it but she's also you know firmly in our corner as far as uh you know supporting us and etc etc so you have that whole side of things going on too i'm sure to a certain extent women that really don't have any interest in oh shooting, but... absolutely my my sister i hope she doesn't watch this because she's gonna <laughs> She is completely against guns, which cracks me up because we grew up in a family of hunters. My Mm -hmm. dad had long guns um, in the closet, loaded, just standing up. You know, this is the 70s and 80s we grew up in. And grandpa had them on a rack in the bedroom. And I'm sure they were loaded, shotguns, rifles. Um, No one had handguns, though, back then. Like, they were just long guns, and that's what they hunted and fed fed the family with um i can tell you what every animal tastes like (laughs) (laughs) and it's what we had to do growing up and i appreciate that so much Um, it's it's a part of the gun community that the media never looks at they never talk about how families you know feed themselves with with the second amendment it's Mm. it's um it's just something that's never talked about Um, I think I just deviated a little bit. Oh, so my sister, she's completely against guns and she has two children and she'll come to my house and I have two junior shooters who are now 12 and 15 and my son is 12 and he has every Nerf gun you can think of. And she'll come over and she'll say, "Um, did you put the GUNs away? Like she won't even say the word in front of her, her kids who are six and four. And it's so aggravating to me, but I look at it this way. Like I practice on her. I practice because she's so oppositional. I practice on talking points, which sounds kind of funny, but 
you get so much further when you have a conversation versus a debate. Mm. And so that's what we do with the DC project. You know, we really try, I'm not here to convince you of anything. I'm just here to tell you what the data shows Mm. and what the facts are. I'm not interested in um, sharing my emotional opinion because that's not what it's about. Um, And I think in a little small way, she's softening. Mm. I don't ever think that she'll own a gun, but she does have pepper spray now. And that's a huge big yeah, deal. Big step. <laughs> she's acknowledging that there's some risk in this world. That Yeah, that, um, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I had a similar experience with like good close friends that were like, when our kids became like, you know, four to eight years old, say like all of a sudden my wife is asking like, how come your kids never come over to play with my kids. Like it always has to be at your house. And finally, one of them said, well, because your husband's a gun owner. Oh, it was like, what? You know, are you kidding me? Like my wife's like, what do you think? I have a gun under every pillow loaded in my house, like waiting for your kid to find it. And like, hello, give us a little credit here. Like, and they're just, you know, they mitigated risk by saying just, you're not going to that house, period. And I had a similar upbringing to you. Like, I remember going over friends' houses and guns were everywhere. And, like, my parents weren't gun people and I wasn't a gun person. Uh, I didn't, you know, my parents were actually probably borderline anti-gun. And uh, so I'd go over and I'd see a double-barrel shotgun leaning up against the wall being like, oh, that thing is cool. And I'd walk over towards it and my friends would be like, don't touch it. And I'm like, really? Like, why? Don't You don't touch guns. (laughs) I'm like, okay, cool. I won't touch it. I'll just look at it. And so... Uh, but you know, nowadays, especially in Massachusetts, everything's under lock and key. And, you know, I think part of being a responsible gun owner is limiting access to people who shouldn't be able to get at them. But on the other hand, um, you know, uh, I was insulted that my friends would think that I would just have guns lying around for the, for the kids to find and, you know, go play in the backyard with or (laughs) whatever. I don't know what they were thinking, but so, uh, anyway, I feel, feel your pain a little bit there and, uh, (laughs) um, so how does like a local event go? Like if, you know, some of the ladies from the DC project, do you ever, is there things scheduled or is it a once in a while thing when everybody's yep. s- schedules align or? Yep. So each state director does their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Carrie Ann here in Massachusetts, she has close to a hundred delegates now. Nice. Um, delegates again, is just a fancy name for members. Sure. And um, she has decided the best way to keep everybody in the loop is to do um, a zoom meeting once a month, mm-hmm. which, which is really helpful because we have women that want to join because they know they want to, they want to protect the second amendment, but they don't really know how about, to do it. So by joining the DC project, it gives them the tools, you know, we're, we're able to teach them. And then just like anything, the new people teach, they learn, and then they teach the new people. And so it's, it's kind of cyclical like that. And um, it's, it's pretty helpful because we have women that have never, ever even sent their legislator uh, an email or called because a lot of people think, you know, you have to be a civics major Mm. or you have to be like, you know, it just, you just not a, not just a layman can do it. So we're there to say, listen, you, you're, we're the people that state house is our house. You know, you have every right to, to reach out to your, um, legislator and and say i don't like this because of this and this is how it's affecting me and they're 
they're supposed to listen to you. And then, you know, you see the lights go on like, oh, okay, because, you know, we feel subservient sometimes. These politicians walk around like it's their house, you know, they're running the show. And really, it's like they're working for us. They've been elected. And um, it's it's sad that it's, you know, people view it that way. Yeah, you're right. And I remember the first time I called or, you know, sent a letter or sent an email or whatever, I was kind of intimidated by it. And I'm mm. like, you know, it's like, I get all nervous, you know, calling my legislators. And I'm like, wait a minute, they're just, they're representatives. They're supposed to be there speaking for me in Congress and, you know, sharing what is important to us as individuals. Why am I worried about this? Why am I nervous about it? But uh, yeah, it's one of those yeah. things. So you help coach ladies up through that that's exciting that's yeah very grassroots and, and we it is very grass grassroots mm-hmm. and we're very very transparent carrie ann and i we do a lot of projects together um and we're very transparent we don't know everything thank god for gun owners action league mm-hmm. i mean jim wallace and john um green they have been instrumental in getting us to where we are we're able to educate people because we have had an amazing mentors so mm. if anyone's not a gun owners action league member they should be yes I <laughs> we promote that. yeah we promote goals so much that people are like do you work for them we're like <laughs> no we just we're members and we absolutely feel it is so important because what for 30 bucks a year are you kidding right yeah it's a no-brainer it's a no-brainer, and we have like 450 pages of gun law in Massachusetts. Mm. Don't you want to take John Green's class at a discount because you're a member mm-hmm. and take that law class because it's amazing? Right, absolutely. Yeah, the, um, you know, so so that's a awesome work that you're doing with the DC project. I think every little bit helps. There's a bunch of different angles. There's all kinds of women's groups. And I think, uh, what you were, you know, talking about a little bit, um, um, why don't you speak kind of personally as a female firearms owner, what got you interested in shooting, what got you started in it? You you already hinted towards it, that you grew up with guns in the house and stuff. Yeah. But Yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit of your story about it. So military family, um, Grandma, aunts, everybody, women and men, military family, all growing up. I was born in Oklahoma, stationed around, uh, moved around the country. And um, guns were never, ever a problem to me because of, you know, how I grew up and married, had a, you know, my husband had guns. Always the man had the gun. It was just the way, you know, I say it out loud and some women would be like, but, I mean, it's the way I grew up. You know, the men protected the, the ladies. That's how I grew up. I grew sure. up in the 70s. So um, when I got divorced and took my two little babies with me into a town that had, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. Actually, it just made the news two days ago, three miles from my house, a woman was taking a walk through a cemetery and she was approached by a man who tried to get her in his vehicle. And he's been apprehended since then. But, I mean, this stuff is serious. This is, this is unbelievable to me. So Carrie Ann and I went to the range in Taunton, and we had our license to carry. We started shooting. And we noticed that women would come in and be like, oh, can you show me how to do it? And Carrie Ann and I are like, 
sure, thinking we're new, but yeah, we know how to do it. And so we started teaching these ladies and it, it never failed. Every time we went to the range, we ended up being, you know, like take the instructor role, but we weren't instructors at that point. Mm. And so she reached out to John from Goal. And at that point, I didn't know what Goal was either. It's just so funny. Like, I look at years ago and think, wow, the stuff I didn't know, you know. Yeah. And um, quickly, he got us on board, got us got us our instructor certification, range safety officer. Um, we told him that the plan was to start a female shooting chapter because there was so many women in our communities that needed education and support and they didn't know where to go. So um, we did. Carrie Ann, she's, she is a pioneer. Mm. Holy moly. She started the first Armed Women of America chapter in Massachusetts. At the time, there were about 300 um, chapters nationwide. And COVID kind of, I think, probably shut 30 or so down since COVID. Mm-hmm. But there's probably about now there's probably about 250 nationwide and we we have we started the one in mass so we have about 100 members and we're at the Mansfield Fish and Game range and we meet the second Monday of every month and the the class is packed we have 45 seats 50 seats and they're full every month we teach a little something in the beginning and then we hit the line and um, the line is secured with range safety officers, instructors, and these women get to shoot and learn and practice and, and be among women that are empowering and supportive. So um, this all kind of is just snowballing. I never planned on this. I just planned on getting a gun to protect my kids and myself because I didn't have the man to mm. do it for me. And it just took on a, a job of its own, just snowballing into amazing things. And then um, shortly after the chapter started, Carrie said, I think I'm going to start doing the DC project. And I'm like, the DC what? <laughs> and so she became the director after she had a lot of education and for, for Massachusetts. And I kind of stuck with her for that and helped her grow that team a little bit. And then our regional manager, Kelly Pigeon, who um, you may see her on YouTube, Armed Women, um, um, what is it that she does? Armed and Feminine. Okay. That's, that's what she is. Um, and she's fantastic. And she said, listen, Rhode Island needs help. And my fiance lives there. And I've been traveling back and forth to Rhode Island for the last 10 years. And... Um, I'm, you know, I have my license to carry there in Rhode Island. So I said, well, these laws will affect me too. And eventually if I, you know, when I live there, definitely it's worth fighting for these people too. So I took on that role as the director in Rhode Island. So um, that's, that's my whole story in a nutshell. That's great. Uh, We got to go to a quick break. But after the break, I want to ask you, I mean, I just rattled off five different female-only groups. Armed Women of America, you said, DC Project, Girl with a Gun, Mass Women Gun Owners, Armed and Feminine. I mean, this is a, sounds like a thing to start a women's gun group, and we'll talk to you about that on the other side. So, Awesome. Stay tuned. We're here with uh, Renee Gagne and on Rapid Fire, and we will be right back, so don't go away. I'm Toby Leary. This is Rapid Fire. Rapid Fire. 
firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex Optics today. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. We are here with Renee Gagne from the DC Project. Let's just say that. <laughs> but she's also a women gun owner here in Massachusetts, maybe soon to be in Rhode Island, uh, doing a lot of good for gun owners here in Massachusetts, period, and throughout the country by being a part of the DC Project. So we're having a very interesting conversation with her. And before the break, I was hinting at um, all these different groups of armed women and women gun owners and i think it's great i you know we long talked about a lot of the uh, the growing demographic of women i've been a gun store for nine years and uh, owned a gun store for nine years and i remember seeing probably seven eight years ago like this growing interest in women uh shooters and owning a gun and learning to uh you know take their personal protection seriously and and start to take it you know become more responsible for their own personal protection like you said originally it was always the man's job right and then uh but in this day and age you know a lot of a lot of women work in the workplace and you know uh and out and about doing their own thing they they obviously need to learn how to protect themselves and do you think that's the driver of all these women's groups that have cropped up and a lot of uh you know, the smaller organizations as well as the national organizations that, you know, women are saying, hey, you know what, we need to take our own safety. Do you think it's rooted in safety first and foremost or personal protection? Or do you think gun owners are just, you know, like, hey, I don't care what you do. You're a collector. You like to shoot. You like to, you know, compete, whatever. Um, Or or is it, do you think it's primarily an issue of personal responsibility for your own personal protection. I do believe that. I believe that's why women are entering the two-way community in droves because they realize when they turn on the news every day that the crime is not going away. Mm -hmm. If anything, in Massachusetts, it's higher now. Even with all of our gun control from like 1998, all the gun control legislation, right? Our crime um, with our gun related crime is up 111%. So, you know, it's obvious that all of this gun control is not mitigating gun violence. It is not making our community safer. Um, You know, we have what I, what I call the, the most dangerous trifecta, which is mental health crisis in Massachusetts, substance abuse crisis in Massachusetts. And we have a judicial system that has more holes in it than Swiss cheese. Mm. So, you know, we have these criminals that are 
getting released into our communities um, time and time again to repeat offend. And women are just like, listen, we can't carry around a police officer, but we can carry around a gun. Mm. So let's get trained and just be our own first responders. Isn't that the true root, like, of the Second Amendment in general, in your opinion? Don't you think that, um, you know, it's been said the gun is the great equalizer, right? Um, mm-hmm. So take, take for instance, a, a you know, elderly woman and who could easily be overtaken by, you know, younger athletic men who outnumber her, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's really what the her only option really in a lot of cases t- is to carry a gun and learn in the sa- you know how to use it e- efficiently and safely um and obviously this is a terrible position for her to be in that she actually thinks she needs to use a gun in order to keep herself safe but for every reason that you just described you know you're 100% right crime is out of control drugs are out of control and mental health is certainly not being dealt with in any significant way and right. and so, yeah, it, because society's failed women as a whole, I would say, or failed mm-hmm. even the civilian population as a whole, that is why we have to do it. And now it comes down to, does that woman have a right to defend herself against that hostile uh, attacker? And it's a very fundamental question, but that really is what all gun control should be boiled down to in the looked at through that lens. Which, right. is, which is, do you have a right to defend yourself against those uh, right. attackers that can easily overtake you if you don't have arms? Right. And that's the debate that I get into all the time with, with people, especially people that aren't gun owners and don't feel the need to ever have a gun. That's, that's everyone's personal decision. Mm. Um, but when they say things like, you know, the police are going to get to your house in time. You don't need a gun. That's just false. It happens all the time. I mean, I can pull data to show you how not true that is. They right. cannot be everywhere at every second. And they'll, they'll tell you that. I mean, they just can't. It's, Im- right. it's impossible. And even if the response time is, what, five minutes? That would be a, an amazing response time. Five minutes of being attacked or raped or whatever is happening is way too long. Right. Way too long. Yeah, it's it's not even their job. You know, police are re- reactive. Right. They're not proactive. They can't be. Uh, it's not their job to protect us. It's their job to respond in in the event that somebody does us harm or wrong uh, right. to come deal with that situation. But, it, you know, to say that police are there to protect us is, is disingenuous. And right. they're always just reacting to an already bad situation. Um, but I think that a woman who takes her personal response, you know, safety, uh, personal protection uh, very seriously and has chosen to get trained in the safe and efficient use of a firearm, be able to carry one, be able to use one is the best protection our our society could possibly ever have is, you know, more well-armed women who are trained in the efficient use of them. And, you know, that I think would certainly be a huge step in the right direction as far as uh, but unfortunately, that that's not the most popu- popular public opinion out there, especially the way uh, mainstream media and, and, you know, Hollywood would love to right. portray it. Right. Know? 
Well, that's, Toby, what you're saying is absolutely correct. And I just want to put out there that we promote all kinds of ways to to defend yourself. Mm -hmm. But today we're focusing on 2A. But, I mean, we're strong supporters of pepper spray. We're strong supporters of situational awareness and Mm -hmm. taking classes to be situationally aware because that is the first key to safety. And, you know, it's not... It's not having a gun in your toolbox and only a gun that's going to protect you throughout your life because sometimes just having that situational awareness can just get you out of trouble and you don't need any other tools. So, you know, I remember just a couple months ago, Carrie and I had at one of the meetings at the Armed Women of America, we had a man come in and teach knife knife, um, fighting strokes. There were eight strokes that he taught us. And at first the women were like, I can't believe you're teaching us how to fight with a, with a knife. And we're like, well, not every situation, you know, is your gun is not going to be needed in every situation or possible. Right. Yeah. Start, start with, with the less lethal, like Mm. sometimes pepper spray in the eyes and you can get away. That's all you need. Like nobody wants to pull out their gun and shoot somebody. Nobody wants that. And most of us will never, ever have to do that in our lifetime. But I really truly believe the more tools that you can put in your toolbox, the safer you're going to be throughout your life. Right. No, absolutely. I think, um, you know, the sad thing is there's people out there that you know, want to perpetuate this argument that, oh, more guns in society doesn't make you safer. Well, actually, statistically, it does. But um, the the fact that they want to insinuate that you're being, uh, you know, a little over, you know, overly, whatever, cautious or whatever you want to call right. it, you know, that you're Hyper, just... Hypervigilant. Yeah, hypervigilant. I, he- I hear you. that That's, all the time. Yeah. And uh, but the reality of the situation is everything you just talked about the the whole package of self defense as a mindset instead of just like oh I have a gun in my sock drawer in case the worst case scenario ever happens well that doesn't do you much good if the worst case scenario crops up and you've never even touched that gun uh, right. but the whole package of self defense mindset I love what you said the the fight that I don't have to get in is the best fight that I, you know, I'm ever in. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe just through conflict avoidance or de-escalation or, you know, aware of my surroundings, I can go somewhere else and maybe I avoided a bad situation and I don't know that I have avoided a bad situation, but just by being aware and in tune with what's going on around me and, uh, I decided to go a different route or I parked my car under the streetlight and I, you know, came out with a group of people instead of, you know, by myself. That whole mindset means I am less likely to be a victim, mm-hmm. period, you know, because I have so much more at work for me than just, oh, I have a gun in my purse or I have a gun in my, you know, sock drawer or a gun at home or whatever. You know, that's that isn't the answer. And the gun, a lot of people don't realize that, that the gun isn't this magic you know, button that you can press and it solves the world's problems. It, you know, sometimes it's not the answer. Like you said, sometimes just <laughs> avoiding a conflict in the first place is the answer. And it's a right. much better outcome for everybody involved. Uh, right. Can, can we talk about um, the tour tonight, the um, meeting that we're having in Greenfield? Is that something that we can talk about? We absolutely can, <laughs> except 
when you hear this, it's going to have already happened. But go ahead and say it, and we'll talk about it. Okay, so I am super excited. This will be the third tour, um, the third meeting. The first one that I went to in um, Barnstable, the panel, there wasn't really any gun experts on the panel other than the chief. And the second tour, same thing. No gun experts at all. So this one is going to have a panel full of 2A experts. And I am so happy about that because it really feels like a one-sided conversation when you don't have, you know, a gun expert on the panel and you just have a bunch of people that don't even own guns. So how can you bring really anything to the table if you don't know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, And it's funny you bring this up. And unfortunately for all those listening, they they missed out. Uh, This is kind of after the fact, but uh, I'm one of the panelists tonight myself. So it'll be kind of fun to be there. Are you going to come? Absolutely. The oh, DC good. project is coming. Great. Yep. So we'll meet in person. That's that's exciting. And you're right. Um, I think it's important to have uh, the gun industry at the table if you're thinking about <laughs> changing all the rules as it applies to guns in, yeah. in Massachusetts. So um, speaking of that, um, let's just throw it out there. for You can say this as a wearing your DC project hat or just as a, a gun owner yourself. Um what do you think about firearms as in Massachusetts especially? Um, do you have uh, an opinion about what the gun control schemes that Massachusetts rolls out? Does it help us? Does it make us safer? Does it, um, what, what's your just general opinion of it? And I know that's My, a broad okay, question, but so, take it anywhere um, I'm not going to use my opinion, but I think when I use the facts that we have in front of us, it's going to show you how I feel that, um, you know, we have a ton of gun control. We had a ton of legislation get um, enacted back in 98 with with all of the, the AR bans, you know, everything. I mean, we seriously have, when I say 450 pages, I'm not even kidding you. It's a huge fat book of, of gun laws. And... Again, I, you know, the data shows that the gun crimes in Massachusetts are up 111% since, since 1998. So what does that mean? Does that mean that if we enact more bills into law that we're going to be safer? Because the 450 pages we have now isn't mitigating any gun violence or gun, you know, gun crime. So explain to me how more laws are going to mitigate crime if the first 450 pages have not. Yeah, and I think that the most logical conclusion to what you just said is gun laws do one thing really well, and that is they make it harder for good people to exercise their right to keep and bear arms. That they do amazingly well, especially in Massachusetts. Like right. Massachusetts is is one of the states that is extremely restrictive when it comes to their gun laws, and I can't tell you how many times, uh, being on Cape Cod and owning a gun shop, we have a lot of people who come over from the islands for the day, uh, on a weekend especially that come from Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard, or they've heard us on the radio, they've heard us, you know, uh, you know through whatever 
social circles they're in and they hear about Cape Cod Works. And so they jump in the car and they make a two-hour drive to come to Cape Cod on a Saturday or Sunday. And they want while they're here, they see a gun they want to buy and they buy, they're ringing up, going through the process. And, uh, oh, sir, do you have your PIN number with you? My what? <laughs> my, my what? Yeah, so they just paid, you know, seven, eight hundred bucks for a new gun and they live two hours away and they forgot their PIN number that the state gives them with their license to carry after doing all the background checks and, you know, fingerprinting and photographing and classes that they had to take and waiting two to three months for their permit to come. Now they forgot their PIN number, so they have to come back another day to complete the purchase of their firearm, which is just unbelievable. And so it does a phenomenal job of making it extremely difficult for good people to buy a gun, which they have a constitutionally protected right to do. Exactly. How about let's, let's take it even further. We are lumping in Massachusetts. We're lumping pepper spray into our firearm laws. So my daughter, who is the youngest um, delegate in Massachusetts, she's 15. She is now a DC project delegate because she found out that, the pepper spray that mom has, she can absolutely not carry it because she's 15 and she doesn't have an FID card. And she said, mom, doesn't an FID card mean firearms identification card? I said, yep. Well, pepper spray has nothing to do with a firearm. So me sitting through a class that you have to pay for, and I know you don't have an extra $100 for me to sit in the class, So I have to take a class and learn about guns. Are they going to teach me about pepper spray? I said, no, they're not (laughs) going to talk about it at all. Not one second are they going to talk about pepper spray. So then I have to go to the police station in Taunton where they're already complaining that they have so many applications and it takes months to get, you know, your, your license. So what? I just have to sit here and wait three months to be able to protect myself with pepper spray? And I said, guess who's coming to the meeting tonight to say that in front of all these people? And she said, can I? And so <laughs> she's excited. She's nice. excited to advocate because it's it's crap. Can I say that? Yes. <laughs> it's just crap. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm all about gun laws that make sense, right? This does not. This does not. Why on earth are we going to burden our, our licensing officers with more applications for these kids that... You know, these teenage girls that, by the way, have, you know, the highest incidence of, of being um, abducted, violently attacked. Right. It's not the middle-aged man. It's these teenage girls. So right. it's just, uh, yeah, you're not going to see me smile that much tonight when you <laughs> see me because it's, it's, it's aggravating. Yeah. It really comes down to this, and I've said it a bunch of times on this show, so the frequent flyers on this show will uh, probably be rolling eyes, but it's true. The um, gun control as a whole and all gun control-related schemes that restrict the good person's ability to exercise the right to keep and bear arms, or in your daughter's case, pepper spray, which isn't a regulated item in most states, is equivalent to cutting the horns off the buffalo to protect them from the lion. So that's insanity, right? On its surface, mm. you don't cut the horns off the buffalo to protect it from the lion. You say, oh, those things are dangerous, mm. you know, and bad people could get them and use them. And the, the lion has tooth, fang, and claw, and they, you know, they're going to attack you. But the point is, you're, you're disarming good people and making them defenseless or making it harder for them to defend themselves 
and we're not even talking about the whole cultural, uh, you know, socioeconomic impact that gun control really has on some of the uh, communities that most need firearms for defensive purposes. Mm -hmm. Like if you have this crazy gun uh, control scheme in order to make it hard for licensing, hard for acquiring your permit, like in our state, we're one of the only states in the country that you need a license just to purchase a gun to even have it in the home. And, and, you know, you take someone who might be on a fixed income or, you know, retired and, and no uh, real means of acquiring uh, income, if you will, it's a financial burden to somebody to say, right, hey, absolutely. you know, pay a hundred bucks, go take a class, then pay another hundred bucks to, you know, give to the chief of police in your town and wait one to three months. Well, if there's an immediate threat, there's a problem. You know, they're not going to be able to acquire a firearm in, in, a, in a short amount of time in order to help keep them safe. It's like hope, hope, hope the world doesn't fall on you in the one to three months it's going to take. Uh, in order to get get your license and then go out and shop for a gun. so Right. Yeah. And, and that's where a lot of people say it's racist. Yeah. Because if you, like you said, the low socioeconomic um, communities, it's literally 100 to $150 just to take the licensing class, the approved class from the state to, to get your license. And then you have to pay another 100 bucks to do that. So I crunched some numbers this morning. If we say we have... 600,000 gun owners in Massachusetts and they're paying a hundred bucks a piece to get their license application, right? Mm. To pay their application fee. Isn't that $60 million? What the heck is the state doing with $60 million? Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about gun laws and I'm going to talk about this tonight. I went to the, um, the state police headquarters in January to discuss the um, the PSAs that they're supposed to be, you know, implementing. The colonel, by law, by statute, is supposed to be um, sending out public service announcements, and it it actually says right in the citation, uh, right in the um, in the law, it says that he should be teaching, um, sending out PSAs for transportation, home storage, where to get um, classes, who's teaching classes and where to get them, where to get the education, where to get the firearm education. Mm. And that was passed in 2014, and it hasn't been done. It has never been done. Well, there's one thing I've known, uh, I've seen materialize over the years as a gun owner, is that there's only rules for us. There's no rules right. for those who administer the rules. So, in other words, even though laws have been passed for to hold, uh, you know, legis- uh, bureaucrats accountable, they laugh at them. Like when you when you say, "Hey, it's been three months since I applied for my license to carry. Where the heck is my license? You have forty days to respond." According right. to state law, they go, ha, ha, 40 days, that no one does that. Like, yeah, are you kidding me? Because well, it's there's no punishment right. to it. So what do they care? But that's what the law says. Right. 40 days. You got right. 40 days. And they they don't even, you know, yeah, there's some towns that are better at it than others. And, and some towns, you know, have less applicants so they can get them through quicker. And But the bottom line is there's no teeth there. There's no accountability right. for when they violate the law. Or, or how about these licensing officers in these different towns that are requiring essays, mm. references, 
Are you kidding me? Live Why fire. are you? That's not that's not the state the state law. You're right. just like making stuff up, right? <laughs> yeah, even in post Bruin world, where you know the the state was. I mean, the Bruin court decision, the Supreme Court was very clear that you could not um, infringe on people's rights if they are not a prohibited person, but. Massachusetts kept our suitability clause in there for, right. you know, so if we don't think you're suitable, we're going to deny right. you your license to care. It's unbelievable. Right. I just took a class with um, Chief Ron Glidden. Were mm. you able to sit in on that class? It's a really good class. I've taken it's, it, yeah. It's, it most, it's mostly for law enforcement, but as an instructor, as a firearm instructor, it was nice to see because you're looking at it from their perspective and he must have said 10 times, at least 10 times, do not go above the law and add all these extra things that you want because you personally want to ask the question. That's not the law. Stick mm. to the law. Don't add in, you know, essays. And and then I know one town, I want to say it's Worcester, but I'm, I'm not sure, but it's one town out that way. Um, they have to qualify, they're making the people qualify. We don't have to qualify in Massachusetts. So, you that know, was, he uh, was kind of he was kind of in a good way ripping it to him. <laughs> yeah, good. That was all of the Boston suburbs. It was Brain uh Brookline and um they all had this thing where you had to qualify mm. and you had to go out to Moon Island unless there was another like I started doing it on our range because we had some friends from uh Newton and uh, whatnot, and they had the same licensing scheme, but you had to have a certain qualification score out of a four inch revolver, 38 special. It was very specific, and you mm -hmm. had to shoot at three different distances. And the furthest distance is like, I'm not shooting the gun this far. It was like yeah. that ridiculous. Yeah. And like, you had to all do some Mr. Wizard formula and add it up yeah. and divide by whatever and get your qualification score to see if you passed. Yeah. And if yeah. you didn't, you could reapply in six months. Right. And pay another fee, yeah, mind yeah, you. Right. Another fee. It was unbelievable. So, yeah. So in Rhode Island, their qualification is 75 feet. When on earth are you going to shoot your pistol at someone at 75 feet? You're going to go to jail. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so why are you making these citizens shoot at that distance? It's just insanity. And this is why people, you know, look at us like we're crazy and you're always yelling. Well, yeah, we're sick of it. We're <laughs> fed up. Nothing makes sense. If if you came to us with, with, you know, solutions that were effective, then yes, we would be all for it. But, and, and please, I don't want anybody to think that I'm not for, um, training and and qualifying i absolutely think that's a good idea but not government mandated right. education i think that is you just hit the nail on the head for me i think that that should be inside of our community inside of our you know the 2a community should be like oh yeah you got your license to carry great like what class have you signed up for what are you doing to you know are you going to carry a gun or you know are you going to just shoot recreationally and have you taken a, you know, like I distinctly say in our license to carry class, this is the license to carry class. This is the how to get your license class. Mm. We're going to teach you the basic stuff that's required by state law, but this isn't the how do I shoot my gun class. That's another right. class. Like, let's do that after. Like, we'll help you with that and we'll take you down the road and on your journey of how to be proficient with a firearm and become a 
you know, firearm expert, if you will, if you're willing to go that far, you know. But a lot of people take the state-mandated class and never do anything. And I was, I was one of them 15 years before I took my first class outside of the license-to-carry class. But I think we could do a better job as a community, like you said, mm. educate, not legislate. Uh, say, you know, hey, from the firearms community, from one gun owner to another, hey, you should really take this class with me sometime. You know, we'll, we'll have a good time. We'll, you know, have some camaraderie and you'll learn an important life skill. Like, right. Let's do that. But, Toby, don't you agree that this is where the Act of 2014 and those PSAs would come in helpful? Because I really think that a lot of newbies don't know where to go to get the training. You know, it's not like you're handed a packet when you get your license to carry. Here you go. Here here are the laws. And we spelled it out so you can actually understand them because nobody really understands them. Um, and here's some great instructors in the area or, you know, here's, here's Goals website and they can point you in the right direction. Something, anything, anything at all. But they're giving the people nothing, nothing at all. With $60 million dollars, they're giving the Commonwealth, the, the gun owners of the Commonwealth, nothing right. for $60 million. And I think uh, a lot of that money could be well spent by bringing gun safety classes back into schools. That would be cool. Have yeah. I, my, my son says to me, oh, you're really getting me on a roll today, Toby. <laughs> We're almost out of time, so you, uh, we might have to well, do this my, again. My, gun says to, uh, my son says to me... Um, Mom, we're doing active shooter drills. They want us to hide behind the desk. Isn't the bullet just going to go through the desk and hit me? Isn't that one of the rules we know that you need to know your target and what's beyond? Mm. I mean, here's a kid who at the time he was 10. Mm. There are adults that don't know this stuff. And it all comes down to education and training. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, that I I was probably one of the last classes in elementary elementary school i remember a local police officer came in and did a basic gun safety class in our elementary school and um i I never none of my kids ever had it and uh i think isn't that what school's about like educate people like let's do that and not with a bias not with some you know agenda guns bad class i'm not talking about that just a basic safety class what should you do if you see a gun you know oh yeah talk to it like basic eddie eagle type stuff exactly yeah and that's what i think should be done in schools, but instead we do all kinds of other classes, but we'll leave that for another day too. And so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, so that's great. I'm really excited to be a, on the panel tonight and I'm glad you're coming. Uh, that, that'll that be awesome. We'll get to meet in person. And uh, that's great. And so um, if you, there's going to be some more of these listening tour events, the state is going to uh, put on and I hope that people will come out and speak uh, I was unable to attend the first one, even though it was in my backyard because of a family obligation. But uh, I'm really looking forward to tonight's event. And hopefully, um, you know, we'll make a difference. We'll let our voices be heard. For sure. For yeah. sure. If anyone wants to join the DC Project, it's free. DCproject.info would be the site to go to. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'm going to have my wife and daughter sign up as well. DC oh, that's awesome. Project. Uh, Dot info, you said? Yep, dcproject.info. So have Carrie Ann give you some shirts tonight. She's got some oh, okay. nice teal shirts. Cool, yeah. yeah. My wife loves that color, too. So Teal teal is real, <laughs> nice. as Jim Wallace, Jim Wallace likes <laughs> to say from goal. That's great. Yeah, my daughter's actually, you said that your daughter is 15 and she's the youngest 15. delegate in Mass? 
Yep, there is a delegate in Rhode. I'm sorry, in Florida. Her name is May Tapino. She's the daughter of Philip Tapino, who runs the Waft. Mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. sure if you know that. Yep. So May, yep, she's she's 14. So oh, okay. she's actually the youngest. Lives so, 15. So if I can pull this off, my daughter will be the new youngest. She's 13. How, oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah. And Absolutely. She, she's quite a shooter too. She's competed in some local events and. That's great. Yeah, it was pretty funny too because the when we get out of the car and they see her bail out of the car with her range bag and walk <laughs> up and everybody goes, "Uh oh!" Like, and they come over and give me a little talking to, like, uh, "How how is she with pistol handling skills and blah blah blah?" I go, "You don't have anything to worry about other than yeah. getting beaten this match." So, <laughs> and, I love uh, it. And then after like a couple of stages, they'd come over and say wow, your daughter's really good and like she's better gun handler than most of the guys who've been doing this for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, so, that's yeah. awesome. Well, this has been a great talk. Thanks so much, Renee, and I look forward Thank to you. meeting you. And I will certainly do this again. That would be awesome if you'd be willing to come on again. I would love sometime. it. And uh, we'll um, tell everyone how they can follow your work or you already told us about DG, DC Project and uh, what about your YouTube channel, real quick? Just give out the, the name. Sure, sure. We have a YouTube show, Carrie Ann and I, our hosts of a show called Sisters in Arms, a firearm story. So you can find that on Facebook or YouTube. Awesome. That's great. We're looking forward to tuning in and seeing some of your episodes there. So yeah. Thanks so much. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in here. Remember, the show ends here, but you can always tune in at rapidfireradio.us and get caught up and up to date with all the past episodes you may or may not have missed. So uh, you can always leave us a message on the Rapid Fire line, 508-444-2120. Even if you have a question for Renee, I'll forward it to her and get you guys in contact. So uh, keep up the good fight. Support your local community. Be an advocate for responsible gun ownership. And together as Americans, we can overcome. I'm Toby Leary. God bless, and we'll see you next time.